This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. We're going to get into the Word today, and we're going to see what the Bible says more about heaven. If you need a Bible, get your hand up real high, and we will begin. Tony, I'm going to begin in Mark 10, okay? We're going to start in the book of Mark, chapter number 10. So as you go there to Mark 10, you know, the way I live today has implications for my time on earth right now, but also my eternity. And the Apostle Paul himself said in 2 Timothy 4, 7, he said, I have fought the fight. I've kept the faith. I've finished the race. Now, if that none of that mattered, then why did he talk about that? And so, again, I believe he was encouraging each one of us, fight the fight, finish the race, keep your faith, don't jump off board. And so what we're going to do here this morning, we're going to look a little bit about some of the things that pertain to eternity. We'll talk a little bit about paradise. And at the end, I think the scriptures will give us some great insight of what heaven is going to be like. So we begin in Mark chapter 10, verse 17. Now, as Jesus was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him, and asked him, said, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Now, it's interesting, his question here, he said, I want to be sure that I'm going to have eternal life. What can I do? But when you look at the question, it reveals that this man's belief in eternal life is that He could do something that would earn it. What can I do to earn it? And the truth of the matter is there's nothing you can do to earn it. There's only one way to heaven, and that's through the Lord Jesus. Verse 2, or verse 18. So Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one that is God. And so Jesus completely shifts the focus on God. And he's telling him, if you think you're going to get into heaven by your good deeds then no one would get in because there's only one that's good enough, and that was Father God. He goes on next and says in verse 19, You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear fault witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. Now, when you look at this, he shifts his attention to God, and then he gives the Ten Commandments. But to help us, that's all translated into Philippians 1.6. And Philippians 1.6 says, He who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus. And so the starting point for every one of us is salvation when I give my heart to Jesus. But he said there, and he who's begun a good work in you, he wants to complete it. He wants to do some things in us. So when we get born again and we start living by the commandments, man, there's going to be huge blessings on your life. There's going to be things that you're going to experience right here on earth. Verse number 20. And so the rich young ruler answered and said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. I've done all this. You know what he's saying? I've never done anything wrong. How many of you in this room can raise your hand and say, That's you? I hope none of you do. Because if you do, we better have an altar call immediately for liars, okay? Because the truth of the matter is, according to Romans 6... Every one of us have sinned, and every one of us have fallen short of the glory. But it gives you a glimpse of this young guy. He's thinking, man, I got everything together. None of us have everything together. Jesus helps us when we get him in our heart, though. So he goes on, and Jesus looked at him, 
Then Jesus looked at him, loved him, and said to him. Now look at the things he did. He looked at him, he loved him, and he said to him, one thing you have lacked. Go to go, go your way and sell whatever you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come take up the cross and follow me. Now, when you look at this right here, I, I love Jesus in this passage because Jesus revealed his true motive, but Jesus also lovingly told him the truth. Jesus didn't hedge the truth at all right here. He talked straight to him in a loving way. And I believe that's important for every one of us to understand. Sometimes we need to hear the truth right before us. This is what the word of God said. Does my life line up to that? And again, Jesus loved him enough to tell him the truth. And he said here, one thing you have lacked. Now, when I read that right there, I have to ask myself and put myself in this situation. Is there one thing in your life that you've lacked? In other words, is there one thing in your life that you've never surrendered to the Lord? You may say, well, pastor, it's not one, it's ten. That's okay. That's okay. We all have stuff in our life that at times when you look, have I really surrendered that to the Lord? And the thing in this guy's life that, that he lacked right here was his allegiance to God. He didn't give a wholehearted allegiance to God. And when you study this, the idol of his life was the idol of wealth. And so he said, one thing you have lacked. Now listen real close here. Give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Now, he's given us an insight there that we can live this life and we can put all our treasures on the things of this earth. Or I can also invest in in some treasures in heaven. So it shows me when I get to heaven, I'm either going to have some treasures because of what I've done on this earth or I'm not going to have nothing. And he's dealing with this young guy's heart. And he said, and come take up the cross and follow me. Now understand, for a Jew, this this was uh, horrible in their eyes because they thought wealth was a sign that you were full of God. But in this passage right here, Jesus said, listen, dude, you've got to deal with your motives. It's wrong. So he goes on to say in verse 22, but he was sad at this word. He was sad at this truth. You've heard me say this for years. The word of God can be an annoyingly accurate. Sometimes you look at the word and say, oh my gosh. But it opens up my heart. And again, he told him this in love. And so he said, he was sad at the word. And he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. How hard. Now get that. He didn't say it was impossible. He said how hard it was. Then he says in verse 24. And the disciples were astonished at his word. But Jesus answered again the second time. And he said to them children. How hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. So he basically repeats himself two times in a row. It shows me right here. Jesus really wanted his disciples to get this. 
But the difference between the first time and the second time, the first time he said how hard it is for those who have riches. The second time he said how hard it is those who trust riches. So he's showing us right there that oftentimes in my life as a human being, when I have riches and I don't honor God with my riches and I don't seek the kingdom of first, I start putting my trust in those riches. And literally my allegiance, my self-reliance is on those wealth or the things that are riches. Self-deficiency ultimately comes my deficiency. I've got to continue to serve God. Let me give you a verse that will really help you with this. Matthew 6.33 said, seek first the kingdom. And all these things shall be added to you. God's not against me having things. He just wants me to get my life and my priorities in order. How many bad things have you done in your life that was associated with I got to have money? Probably every one of us have done something. Just in the name of getting money. And so a thought for you this morning is we should all really, really monitor what we're willing to do to get money. And again, this is what Jesus is dealing with. And so he says next in verse 25, it is easier for the camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, when you think of the eye of a needle, women are really easy to get this done. I don't know if you've ever watched a woman thread the eye of the needle. I used to watch my grandmother in amazement to do that. I could spend an afternoon and never get it through there. I remember taking tweezers and getting tried and try, I still couldn't do it. I'd spit on it, I'd lick it, and still couldn't do it. My point in that is not my abilities or my lack of abilities. My point is here is can you imagine how difficult it would be for a camel to go through the eye of a needle? And so Jesus said in three verses in a row, verse 23, verse 24, and verse 25, he was talking about riches that pertain to me and you getting into the kingdom of God. And he said how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter. So was Jesus telling me and you, Maybe the greatest competition in our life to the kingdom of God will be money, will be wealth. Verse 26, and they were greatly astonished, saying among themselves, who then can be saved? But Jesus looked in them and said, with men it is impossible, but not with God, for with God all things are possible. And so right here he said, listen guys, you can't look to man because with man it's going to be. But with God, God can make it happen. Verse 28. Then Peter began to say to him, see, we have left all and followed you. And and Peter completely misses the point. He wants Jesus to look and say, man, you guys have done everything that you told the rich young ruler to do. And so Peter's saying, look at us. Aren't we special? And Jesus responds, and he said in verse 29, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who's left house, brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospel 
who shall not receive a hundredfold or a hundred return. Now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters, mothers and children, lands with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. So what was Jesus saying there? He said, it just may happen in your life that you're going to have to prefer, prefer the kingdom of God above your spouse, above your children, your home, where you actually could say, Jesus, you're number one in my life. And when he says this right here, he ultimately tells us, there's going to be rewards for you in this life while you're here on earth, if you have to do that, but also in the age to come, because the blessings he gives will far outweigh the material loss. Far outweigh it. So he's warning right here, the things of eternity, man, they got to get back in my heart. And I'm not saying to drop the ball, the ball or the responsibility you have with your spouse or your children. That's not what I'm saying. But again, Jesus is looking for allegiance to him. Now turn with me to the book of Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. And as you're turning here, let, let me set the table where we're going here. A week ago, I had referenced on three different occasions that the Lord Jesus, John, the Apostle John, and Paul referenced paradise. We talked about that last week in Revelations 2. We're going to see it in this passage here. Now, what's going on here? Jesus is on the cross He has been crucified. He was beaten. He was flogged. And and the Bible uh, in, in passages talk about that he was beaten so bad that he was beyond recognition. Now, I wanted you to get a, 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 a real focus on this, a real good picture of this. Here Jesus is on the cross, beaten beyond recognition. You can only imagine the blood on him. I mean, just just the blood from the beating and then the, the, the nail in his hands and his feet. And on his left hand is a criminal, and on his right hand is a criminal. And they're in close enough proximity here that they begin to carry on a conversation right before all of them die physically right here on earth. We begin in verse 39 of Luke 23. Then one of the criminals who were hanged or crucified blasphemed him. He threw insults at Jesus saying, if you are the Christ, save yourself and save us. Now, when he says this here, he's saying, if you really are the Christ, then prove it. Do something spectacular. Do something miraculous for yourself. And while you're at it, do something for me. Now, this is a criminal. And when I look at this, his comments brought a, a question to me. When he looked at Jesus and said, do something to save yourself and to save me. What did the definition of save mean to him? I believe with what he said there, the definition of saved to this criminal was 
do something for me right now that pertains to this life that I'm living. Do something for me and you that we can live longer on the earth. I don't believe he was referencing eternity here. His thoughts were all in this world, and it's something that every one of us must look at. When we talk about death for each one of us in this room, it's not if I'll die, it's when I'll die. And in this guy's situation, his whole life was for this time on this earth. Guys, there's more than that. There's eternity. And remember in Ecclesiastes 3, he said, he said eternity's in my heart. It's embedded in my heart. Verse 40. But the other criminal answered, rebuked him. The message said he told him to shut up. Right there while they're dying on the cross. He said, be quiet. Do you not even fear God? Seeing you are under the same condemnation. Hey, buddy, did you forget that you were sentenced to die? This is what he's saying to the other criminal. And we indeed justly or fairly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. So you know what this criminal says to the other one? We deserve to die. We're getting what we should have got. And here's the truth in this whole passage. Every one of us in this room deserved to die. And every one of us in this room, we could be the one on the cross like that criminal was. And they sang the song this morning that he would bear my cross. That he would take my place. And that's exactly what he did. So it's very easy for us to look at this criminal and say, yeah, buddy, you got what you deserve. But every one of us have sinned. And this other criminal says to him, we've sinned. We've got exactly what we deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And so what you see here, this one criminal, he confesses his guilt. He said, we're getting what we deserved. And so what he's saying, I'm a man of sin. Right here on the cross, his last breaths on earth. I'm guilty. I think it's very powerful. Whenever a human being can stand before God and say, I'm guilty. I'm guilty. I've blown it. I've missed it. Verse 42. Then the criminal said to Jesus, Lord, Lord. Now, why am I highlighting that? Because I believe with all my heart right here. This criminal got born again. Right here. According to Romans chapter 10 verses 9 and 10. It says if you will confess your sin. And receive or acknowledge or confess that Jesus is Lord of your life. You'll be saved. So according to Romans 10, 9 and 10. And I like to be biblical. This sinner, this criminal. He gives his heart to Jesus right there. And he says... Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. So you know what he's saying there? 
Lord, if there's any hope for me when you get to your kingdom, remember me. Man, there's hope. There's hope for me and there's hope for you. And so the faith of this man, the faith of this criminal, this sinner, it got past his immediate shame and he began to look at future glory. And he said, Lord, save me. Save me. Now watch Jesus' response here. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly or truly, I say to you, you know who the you is today? You and 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 you. Every one of us use. And I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. I want to highlight something here. Jesus could have responded and said, listen here, you knucklehead. You got to be joking. You got to be kidding. All the stuff you've pulled and you want me to save you, you got to get your act together. And on top of that, you haven't even been water baptized. There's a point in me saying that, okay? I'm not downplaying Bible water baptism. But this guy didn't have an opportunity to get off the cross and let's dunk him and throw him back up there. That didn't happen. See, there's some points in here that are made. And so, what qualifies me? It sure wasn't good works because this guy didn't have anybody, anything. And so, what qualifies us? Oh, the blood of Jesus. Oh, the broke. That's the only thing that qualifies us. So, here's what I want you to see. The faith of this man, the faith of this sinner, he cries out to God on his last breath while he was on earth. And get a hold of that. It's never too late as long as you have breath on this earth. Jesus will receive you if you're man or woman enough to say, I'm guilty and I need you as Lord of my life. This is exactly what this is talking about. Now, here's a nugget too. The last part of that, he said, as surely I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. This completely disproves any notion that when a believer dies, and I said a believer, that there will be a time from when he dies that there's a lapse until he goes into paradise. See, there's a teaching that says that. That there's an intermediate place that the children of God will go until paradise. But if that was the case, why did he say, today you'll be with me in paradise? See, and this disproves another notion. That there's teaching that goes out that says, one's believed that when people are in this lapse from the time they died until the time they go to paradise, that's a place where you can pray your loved ones who've died on into heaven. That sounds really good, but it's not biblical at all. As long as I'm alive, I got hope. But understand biblically that when you die your last breath, you'll either be in paradise with the Lord or you'll be in hell. And I can show you if if you want Luke chapter 12, the parable of the man named Lazarus and the rich man. And when both of them died, the rich man said to Jesus, 
I'm burning or I'm tormented in hell. And Lazarus is in Abraham's bosom. You know what Abraham's bosom was? We talked about it a couple weeks ago. It was a segment of heaven reserved for the godly. Now, again, I just want to be biblical here, okay? Just to bring some things to ease where you begin to understand Jesus is very clear. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. Now, again, if we went around the room and talked about paradise, we're not even going to get close to what paradise in heaven is going to be like. Today, some of you, would paradise would be an incredible massage. <laughs> I looked at someone because we kind of relate to that. Paradise, you may, oh, pastor, if I could just get away for a month, if I could just have a new car, if I just could go to Hawaii and sit under a waterfall. But see, all our our thoughts of paradise don't even come close to what paradise is going to be. Go with me to Revelations 21. Revelations 21. Now, I'm going I'm to show you some things here biblically that is going to jump out. It's going to become clear to you today. And a lot of this has to go with the last song that Oscar and the team did. It's, it's, this is in this passage here. So we begin. Revelations 21. I'm, I'm going to start in verse 1, and then I'm just going to tell you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump to 2 Peter 3 and then back to, to, to chapter 21. So if you want to jump with me there, you can uh, Revelations 21, verse 1. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away. Also, there was no sea. So if the first heaven and the first earth passed away, where'd they go? Second Peter, chapter 3, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night when most people don't expect it at all. In which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. So what's going to happen to this place called earth? And understand the earth is under a curse. Uh, Genesis 3, he said to mankind, he said, all the days of your life, you'll sweat. It will be a land of thistles and thorns. Well, all that junk's going to be burned up. I believe part of it that he's talking about is all the curse on this land, all the negativity, all the junk, it's going to be burned up. But on top of that, all your possessions are going to be burned up. Nothing goes but you. Now, this may break your heart, but that new Louis Vuitton purse, it's going to burn. It's gone. That new car, I didn't know cars could burn. They're going to burn. I mean, I look at a lot of the structures in our society that we look at, and oh my gosh, that's incredible. The Taj Mahaj is going to go up in smoke. The Cowboy Stadium, all you cowboy, it's gone. Well, some of you are happy about that. What I'm just telling you, everything on this planet Earth It's going to go up in smoke. And so back to Revelation 21. So what's going to happen is there's going to be a whole new atmosphere. You know what the new atmosphere is going to be? What God intended it to be in the Garden of Eden back in the beginning. It's going to be paradise. Keep watching. Then I, John, saw the whole city, the new Jerusalem, coming or descending down out of heaven from God. This is God's new address. 
And where God's at is where the family's going to be at. And so this is where we're going to hang out with God at. And he said, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And so this is the, the merging or the marriage supper of the church and the Lord Jesus. But it's interesting right here. He uses the word prepare. First Corinthians 2, 9 says that eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor heart even can imagine the things that God has prepared for those who love him. It's, it's going to be overwhelming. It's going to be unbelievable. I promise you, it's going to be the upgrades of upgrades. I mean, it's going to be incredible. Okay. Verse 3. Then I heard a loud voice from heaven. It's going to give you a little insight right there. Heaven's going to be loud. Our praise and worship team is preparing you. It's going to be loud. But guess what? Your ears are going to be totally restored. You're not going to need any, any hearing aids. You're not going to need any of that. You're not going to need earplugs. It's, it's going to be perfect. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them, and they shall be, and he shall be their God. You know what this is? This is forever security, peace, love. We're going to hang out with God. We're God's people. We're going to look him face to face for eternity. Verse 4. Now this is where it gets really good to me. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there shall be no more death, no more sorrow or anguish, nor crying. There shall be no more pain. For the former things have passed away. Does it make you want to sign up for heaven today? I mean, just listen to what he said. There'll be no more crying. None. We won't have any reason to ever cry again. Just watch the news tonight and watch how many people you see on TV that'll cry today. The 16 people that died in that hot air balloon yesterday. It's incredible tears. Incredible. There's going to be no more crying in heaven. No more. No more anguish. No more sorrow. No more. Now, when I read this and I look at it, it's hard for each one of us to grasp our minds about this because we don't understand that. No more pain. There may be ones of you in this room right now and say, Pastor, my, my shoulders ache, my knees ache. My... Not in heaven. Not in heaven. Kick and shake and bake and whatever you want to do. I had a grandmother that was very, very dear to me. Very. When she started getting older, she started getting in all kinds of pain. And I begin to see her mind go. Where she started doing bizarre things and, man, it would just wear on me. And I remember one day going to my mom's and I said, Mom, I pray today that Grandma, she dies and go to heaven. 
And some of you may say, why would you pray that? Because heaven is a place where there's no more pain. Everything will be restored. And I said, I don't want grandma. Grandma, she's going to go to heaven. It was a couple days later, she died and went to heaven. This part of me rejoiced. This part of me cried because I knew my time here on earth, I wouldn't see her again. But you know what? I know the day will come and I'm going to stroll in there and grandma's going to be perfectly healthy. Grandma's mind is going to be sound. So this is what it's talking about. This is paradise. A a, a place where you, you won't see children starving to death. You won't see disease wreck a whole village. It won't be there. And so again, when we talk about these things, I, I got to say, Lord, you got to help me where I can picture that. I, I said last week, you know, you, you won't need floaties. You won't need a life jacket. People can't die. Oh, won't that be incredible? You want to got little bitty ones, you can go to the pool and not have to worry about it. Jesus is the lifeguard. He's got it. He's got it. You want to parachute out of the Go ahead. Just slide through there. You know, get on. I mean, so you think, is that how you think? Yeah, sometimes it is. Verse 5. Then he who sat on the throne, Father God said, Behold, I will make all things new. And he said to me, John, write, for these words are true and faithful. These words are dependable and they are accurate. And when God says he's made all things new, guess what? You can go to the bank on it. When God gives us stuff in his word... His word is forever settled in heaven. God doesn't change his mind. Verse 6. And he said to me, it is done. It is done. I am the alpha. I am the omega. I am the beginning and the end. I am A to Z. And it's interesting that Father God said, it is done. And the Lord Jesus, his last words on the cross, it is finished. So you know what you see? Our father and his son. They complete the job. They never leave anything undone. And I will give of the fountain of water of life freely to him who thirst. The criminal on the cross, he thirst. And he was given water to drink. Verse 7. He who overcomes, he who's victorious, he who endures till the end shall inherit all things. And I will be his God and he shall be my son. And so a glimpse today of heaven. But a couple things here this morning. Is there things in this life that pertain to money that has got their grip on you? Maybe there's there's one thing in your life that man has tried to choke you. Has tried to keep you from giving God your whole allegiance. Just maybe today you're like the criminal on the cross. And you're man or woman enough to admit, I'm guilty. Lord Jesus, come into my heart and be Lord of my life. And today you'll be with me in paradise. How about this today? Maybe you're here today. And you just hurt for a family member. You sit there and you've hurt and you've hurt and you've been in anguish over it. See, I'm just throwing out things here today that we've all experienced while we're here on earth. 
Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.